Our text this morning is uh, that I'll be sharing with you is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Before I uh, share with you from the Word, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, um, I don't know... Um, if the book of Hebrews is a favorite book of folks or not, I just know you've been challenging me so much over the past few years from the book of Hebrews. And I ask, Lord Jesus, this day that they wouldn't just hear me speaking, but they would hear your voice in the midst of this, just as you spoke back to Moses and shook the mountain then. Lord God, uh, I believe you're shaking us today. Help us to have ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that understand what it is you're trying to communicate to us. And let it be received into our hearts. Lord, I present us to you now, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, just to mention, uh, near the back of the order of worship, there is an outline for the sermon over a couple of pages. I like to do that. Uh, I have to admit, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. And so I usually try to put an outline for folks, for those who like to take notes, or if you're a baseball fan, some people like to know the batting order of things, and it might help you follow along a little bit. Of course, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, oh well, enough said. But uh, I'm just going to share a little bit more about me. And I have to remember, um, as I was uh, thinking about some of the things that were going on this morning, uh, some of the things I think I miss, uh, seeing the children come up for the children's sermon, uh, that was always one of the, the highlights of my enjoyment in the worship services. I did this thing called a sermon in the box. Each week I would give a box for one of the kids to take home, and they would put something in it with their parents' permission, and they would bring it back, and then I would do a children's sermon based upon whatever I discovered inside. Interesting stuff, uh, including the uh, slug that I found in there in a Ziploc bag one time. Um, and I had different adults who were going to try to stump me by trying to steal the box and see what they could do with it. But it, something else I really enjoyed, too, in the time was just watching Judy as she was taking prayer requests. Do you realize what a privilege it is to be able to know people by name? You know, you can look around here and you know the folks. And that's something that's special that God gives us as a part of our uh, community of faith. So that's just something else I just wanted to tell you that I appreciated hearing and seeing this morning as well. But now let's, let's turn to our text. Because as I've mentioned, I've, uh, over the past few years, I feel like God has been challenging me in my life 
from the book of Hebrews. And when I read this particular passage from Hebrews, I don't know if you hear it, but I hear God giving us a warning. But do we know how to read the warning signs? Now, I don't know how many of you get frustrated with your tech stuff, your computers, smartphones, like I do. But what do you do when you get an error message on one of your devices? Think about that. Some people, they look lost. I get that way. But every once in a while, an error message might appear on my computer. And sometimes I can translate what the error message gives. And sometimes I have absolutely no idea what it means. Like it says, error, and then it gives this long number, maybe with some letters, and you're going, okay, what do I do with that? Um, And hopefully you can write it down and look it up on the internet. But you see, that's when I have to get help when I see some of these error messages. For example, uh, here is some, um, something interesting I found on the internet, and it's six warning signs that your computer could be failing. Here's number one, poor performance. Now, some of you may feel like it does that all the time. But if the general performance issues are likely the first sign that your computer is failing, But because there are a variety of potential causes, that in itself may not offer conclusive proof. Here's the second warning sign they gave. File corruption. Have you ever seen something like that on your computer? Files or programs that previously worked fine then suddenly do not open. And that can be a sign of a corrupted program. And that can be the result of malware or something else. Marsha was telling me, when she had to switch from one iPhone version to another, a lot of her stuff disappeared. And she didn't know if it was because stuff didn't transfer or if the computer divine spirits up there were messing with her phone. And then she found out recently that Apple decided that because she didn't buy all the songs that were on her phone from them, they weren't going to transfer at all. Um, That wasn't fun. Here's another one. Slow hard drive. You notice that programs are taking forever to work or to load. Here's number four. Have you, and hopefully you haven't heard this too often. Have you ever heard your computer start up and it kind of sounds like it should be on retirement or Medicare because it's groaning. There's all kinds of really strange sounds. Um, you know, I was told that when you get older that we get Rice Krispies syndrome. And that's because you get up and you hear a snap, crackle, pop. Uh, and that could be the same thing with your computer as well, too. Here's another one. It's called boot errors. Um, I have to tell you, I'm not really sure what that means. But a boot error is, uh, will be a message that might come up, such as device drive not found. Or um, your PC starts up the next time, but then it's intermittent, so you don't know when it's going to work, when it's not. And then a, la- a last one that I didn't realize that led to the crash of one of my laptops is that the fan in my computer was seemed to be running all the time. And that was an indication that the computer was getting really hot uh, because it was overworking. Something wasn't working right. Now, some of the warning signs that I read there I found easy to understand. And I could figure out what were some of the next steps I might take either to prepare for repair or prepare for possible disaster. 
But then there are some warning signs that I have absolutely no idea what to do about them. And that's kind of like the text we read uh, that Jesus gave in Matthew 16 when he was asked to prove himself. Again, let's read that text from Matthew 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Now, I remember my dad saying something like this. He was a sailor in the Korean War. And I'm trying to remember exactly how it went, but red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. And uh, he served on an aircraft carrier, the Valley Forge. And so that was really important for them to be able to read the signs. But Jesus was pointing out the fact that we often have a better grasp on interpreting and understanding the natural signs of our world than we do the supernatural signs of what God is doing in our times. And according to our text from Hebrews, God uses the shaking of our world and the shaking of our lives to get our attention. It's a divine sign oftentimes. He does that to speak to us, to give us supernatural warning signs from Him. And it's either to prepare us for repair or to prepare us for a possible disaster. But the question that I ask many people in congregations I've served is this. When God warns, will we understand God's warning signs? So what I'm going to do is we're going to go through these five verses. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each verse. But I want to try to help us see in these five verses how God warns us and prepares us through shaking. Shaking that can happen in our world, our community, our society, and even our own personal lives. And we're going to begin with Hebrews 12, verse 25. And we're going to ask this question. Do we listen for God's voice? In this verse, Hebrews 12, 25, the Holy Spirit is pointing to one particular time out of many in Israel's history where God's people were reluctant to hear God's voice. Let's read this verse again. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused, did you hear that? When they refused Him who warned them on earth, <coughs> much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. This verse is pointing to the time frame of when God was preparing His people to receive the Old Testament law. Again, we're going to turn to Exodus 19. We read some of those uh, verses earlier. But we're going to read verses 16 and 17 uh, from Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain 
and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, have you ever asked why God did things this way? Don't you think it could have been much easier if he had just dropped pamphlets from heaven and let them read it? But why was God shaking up their lives by shaking this mountain? And for what reason? Well, if you go to Exodus chapter 20, I'm just going to read one verse. I believe the answer to those questions are found. It's verse 20 in chapter 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. God's display of His power and might upon Mount Sinai was not for ego, but it was to remind them that He is a holy God who desires that His people, that's you and me, also walk in holiness to honor Him. But God had to test them because the history of Israel was this ongoing pattern. Next time you read through, excuse me, <coughs> a little bit of allergy uh, drainage here. The next time you read through the Old Testament, listen to this pattern that the people of Israel had. And it was listening for a season, followed by a cycle of sin and rebellion, where God had to get their attention again through judgment so that he might provoke them to turn their hearts back to God and return to obedience. <coughs> and for some seasons, and for some reasons, their season of obedience was shorter than others. Do you remember how they had Aaron craft a golden calf for them while Moses was still on Mount Sinai? What was happening? God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments where one of the prominent ones is thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not make any graven images. And so what are they doing down below while he's up there? Because he was taking too long for them. And I think that is what it means by see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. It's reminding them of their own history. Oh, thank you so much. <clears throat> I was doing well, but I, I don't know about you. Uh, there's a lot of pollinating stuff going on right now. Excuse me. But that was the first warning. is saying, remember your history. Can any of you remember a time in your own past where it seemed like God was really speaking to you and you kind of did this? Kind of looked the other way? That happens. Or um, we might even go... Oh, thanks. Man. That's pretty good. One for the road. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. So think about that. But let's now move on to the next warning. We're going to look at two verses. We're going to look at verses 26 through 27. And we're going to ask this question. Do we see the grace of God in the shaking? Again, let's read verses 26 and 27. At that time, his voice shook the earth. 
But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now it uses an interesting word in there, the word promise. And it's saying that it's referring to something that God has declared elsewhere, that He has promised in His Word. Listen to where this promise comes in. And it comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now, you might be asking, well, where do we hear God's grace in these verses? And I believe there's many ways, but I'm just going to mention two. The first one is this. I believe that God is letting us know that he will not ever give up warning his people, as well as the nations of the earth. And it's God's desire always to give people a chance to turn to him and walk in his love and walk in his ways. So do you hear that? God does not give up on us. And I got to tell you, um, with some of the youth ministry I did, especially with junior hires, I was certain that they would never come to salvation, many of those kids. I have had five knee surgeries because of junior high ministry. But later on, God brought me back into their lives as some of these junior hires and them into me. And I saw how God had radically changed their life. God doesn't give up on us. He will always be at work ever to draw us closer to Him. Here's the second aspect of grace that I saw here. The word shake also means to agitate. Now, normally, agitation is not something most people seek out. But think of how the agitation in a washer helps clean the clothes. What this means, I believe, is that God promises to use these shakings or these agitations to cleanse and to remove those things in our life that should be removed. Just like the detergent does when it is agitated by the water in a washer. But sometimes God has to disturb us, which is another meaning of the word shake, in order to get us to move out of our complacency and our comfort with our sin, our woundedness, our brokenness. And sometimes I have to admit that when God starts to shake my life, I'm not always a very gracious child of God. I do not always react well when God disturbs and agitates my life. Sometimes when bad things happen, my first thought is, really God? But I'm also not implying that God is the source of evil. Because the word test also translates as temptation. And think of how God 
used the temptations of the devil against Jesus in the wilderness to help Jesus establish his victory over the kingdom of darkness. Remember, both Matthew 4 and Luke 4 tell us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that was so that Jesus would have victory over the devil's temptations. So what I hear in these verses, those two verses from Hebrews, is that when our lives are feeling agitated, disturbed, or shaken, no matter what the source, God has our back if we let Him. He will have our back to help us overcome the works of the devil or of the world so that we might become stronger in our faith. So that which cannot be shaken from the kingdom of God will remain and abide in our lives. Now we're just going to take a look at the last two verses in this passage of how God is warning us by looking at and uh, verses 28 and 29 and asking this question, do we see what God is building? And again, while I believe there are many hopes and promises that are contained in these verses, at the core is a promise and a hope that God is bringing to earth that which He is building in heaven. Excuse me. Listen to what these verses say again about promise and hope. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I'm going to start by focusing on that phrase, cannot be shaken. It kind of reminds me of how the people of Israel were shaken when they were led away into captivity to Babylon as a judgment upon their sin for decades of disobedience against God. So when God started the work of bringing them back to Jerusalem from Babylon, Nehemiah was raised up by God to be one of the key leaders to fulfill the restoration God had promised. Do you know what God showed Nehemiah when he got to Jerusalem? God showed Nehemiah that he was rebuilding his glory there. But when Nehemiah arrived, everything was in a state of chaos. So God led Nehemiah to do an inspection of the city before any work was done. Have you ever heard the expression, measure twice, cut once? Kind of that thing. God was giving him the wisdom to make sure he did the right work. And before they could build, (coughs) they first had to remove that which was not useful. Then they had to replace it with something new while also strengthening that which remained. So I believe that God is telling us that just like Nehemiah, that God wants to build the glory of His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. 
But I believe we are also being warned by God that we cannot use just any earthly thing to build this new work of God's kingdom. We need to use materials that cannot perish. We need to use the resources that God has provided of acceptable worship with reverence and awe, which looks like what the Holy Spirit says through Paul in Romans 12. In verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this by the Spirit. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I believe that means that just like Nehemiah, we need to do an inspection of what God has given us from time to time in our nation, in our churches, and in our lives. And also, just like Nehemiah, we need to discern that which is not useful to God so that it can be removed and replaced with what God wants to give us while also strengthening that which remains. And stop and think about these past two plus years that we've just been through. And doesn't look like it's at an end at any time soon. I believe that God has been shaking, agitating, and disturbing His nations, His churches, and His people in order to bring about a work of His kingdom that is so wondrous that we cannot even imagine what it will be like. But we have a choice before us during the shakings. And I've labeled it, uh, I remember when COVID hit at our church uh, in, in central Ohio when I was at Mansfield first. Um, and it was like the Lord was saying that we could either thrive during this time or just simply survive. Simply surviving means that we try to hold on to that which God is shaking loose in the hope that God will give up and leave us alone. Some people uh, just cling uh, to whatever is shaking on around them and hoping it just goes away. But it's an attitude that seems to refuse to listen to the voice of God when He warns us. But on the other hand, I believe thriving listens to God and lets God exchange the corruptible for the incorruptible. Think of all the different ways. Just the church has been challenged during this time. Uh, new ways of doing outreach. I would have never have thought that I would be recording worship services on YouTube or broadcasting them. We noticed within the first few weeks after the word got out through our members that we actually had a greater attendance online than we did in the sanctuary. And then when the sanctuary reopened up, we still did that. But it was amazing some of the people who had been touched during that time. Think of how the church has sought to adjust and expand. 
What I'd like to do as we close up this time, as we think of how God tries constantly to have His chain exchange the corruptible for the incorruptible, I'd like to offer you just three ideas for how I believe we can thrive during God's shakings. And the first way, I believe, is this. We humble ourselves before God on behalf of our nation. Our nation needs prayer, as do the nations. Again, you probably have heard this scripture passage before, but it bears repeating. But actually doing it's even better. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You, I bet I could get a list that would be 20 pages long very easily of all the things that you find that's wrong with our nation right now. It wouldn't take much. But how much effort goes into praying for our nation? Think of how our, the nations themselves have been shaken these past few years just with COVID. Political scandals. And now with the war between Russia and Ukraine. And with the threat of what possibly could happen if communist China invades Taiwan. But have we stopped and asked, what is God trying to show us as a nation about where we have placed our trust? It's not going to be in political candidates, no matter what flavor they are. It's ultimately going to be God who will be our Savior. Do we trust in political systems and politicians or in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? What is it that God wants to forgive and heal in our land? I do believe that God wants us to care about whom we elect as well as to start praying for those who are elected. Here's the second thing that I think will be uh, important for us during this season. That we humble ourselves before God on behalf of our church. Think of how churches again the body of Christ has been shaken the past few years with COVID. Some churches have not survived. Some have become stronger. Some have even become more committed to do the work of the kingdom of God. And again, all the other things that are out there that shake people with fear. What's going to happen to my family? What, uh, are, there, are there going to be more shortages? What's the next thing that's going to be, uh, come a shortage? I've talked to different business owners, and the price of supplies is skyrocketing constantly, and no one can really figure out why. How did something that used to be in abundance is now all of a sudden a shortage? Uh, think about the ways that the people in the church are wondering, God, what are you doing? Is our trust in our local church or is it in the kingdom of God? Are we simply trying to hold on to the way we've always done things while God is shaking us to think differently for how we do outreach and evangelism? So that's another shaking. So we humble ourselves and pray, say, God, what are you doing in this congregation? What are you trying to shake loose? What are you trying to strengthen? And then just one last one. We humble ourselves before God. 
Now stop and think of how you have been shaken the past few years with all these different things that have been going on. COVID, political scandals, wars and rumors of wars. What impact has that had upon your finances, your health, your personal sense of security? Uh, what do you think about what's going on with family members? You know, parents thinking about their children. Uh, parents thinking about their grandchildren and children. Now, I believe a good way that we can get a sense, though, of where we're placing our trust is by just asking a few questions. And I, here are three that I'd, I'd like you to think about as we start to wrap up here. Here are three ways to tell where we're putting our trust. And I believe God is working to get our nations, our churches, and our uh, individuals, his own children, to shift where their foundation is. Number one, what do you talk about the most? That might be where uh, an indication of where you're placing most of your trust. And that's probably not only where you've placed your hope, but maybe your fears. Here's the second thing to ask. What do you love the most? That could also probably be an indication of where you have placed your hope. And then just last, uh, a third one that I think is very telling. Think about that which you spend your money on the most. That could be an indication where we place our trust and hope. But as the Holy Spirit tells us in these verses, <coughs> God shakes to warn. God... <coughs> seeks to get our attention so that we will remove those things which can be shaken in order to hold on to those things that cannot be shaken. And here is how the writer of Hebrews said this two chapters earlier. In chapter 10, by the Spirit he wrote this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's why I think the prayer time that you had is such an important thing. It's such a tangible way to be able to support and encourage one another. But as God is shaking your own life, do you know how to pray for yourself and for your family? Do you know what God wants you to hold fast to and what to let go of? All I'm asking, as I have in other churches, is give the Lord the chance to speak His hope into our lives during these difficult times of shaking in our world and in our nation and in our churches and in our homes. I believe you won't be disappointed. So, as we close, here's a short summary of what we've talked about so far. Number one, God is shaking the nations and our nation because He has something better in mind. Let's keep our nation in prayer. That's number one. Number two, God is shaking His church, including this church, because He has something greater for you to do. Let us keep Christ's church in prayer. And then finally, number three, God is also shaking our lives because He loves us too much to let us stay the same. Ask God to give you the courage 
to seek his heart and his voice for such a time as this. Would you join with me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you that uh, you don't give up on us, that you are always at work to help us become the people of God for the kingdom of God. And Lord Jesus, uh, all I can say is thank you. Uh, I can think of just many stupid things I've done at different times in my life, even as a pastor, and yet your grace carries us way beyond that. I lift up my brothers and sisters. Uh, I thank you, Father God, for this community of faith and how they encourage and support one another in their lives. And Lord, let that be a strength that the people of this community see, that your love at work in them is also your love at work through them to one another. And it's a love that the people of this community uh, can share in and be embraced by uh, as their world is also being shaken. May the Lord Jesus Christ give you courage. May he give you his peace. And I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.